Welcome back, podcast listeners. We're here with episode 168 today. And I uh, I asked Tony previous to this if he wanted to join me today, but he knew he'd ask too many questions and he knew this is a podcast I wanted to do. So I'm hosting today, but I have two great guests with me. Eden, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Jamie. It's a pleasure yeah, to be thanks here. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. So, Eden, I'm, I'm going to start with you now. I've been seeing your face via a screen for um, over six to 12 months now. I'm not going to put a date on it, but... Um, we, we've been working on another project together, which I'll get, we'll touch on a little bit today. But, mate, do you want to give a little bit of background on yourself um, and sort of, you know, your journey to being on this podcast, I guess? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, appreciate that, Jamie. Yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure working with you, let me just say that. Um, we've been working together on this thing called Save a Global, which is a... Um, a startup that both Jamie and I have had some involvement with. Um, so I'm the general manager of that. And on the side by night, um, a young punk founder that's trying to change the world. Uh, and so that kind of brings us to where we are today, chatting about impact and what that is um, and how we came to it. And uh, my co-founder is Chris. So yeah, Chris, mate, same thing. Look, I, I've just met you today, um, but I'm really interested to hear your story as well. Yeah, well, mate, I'm essentially an extension of Eden. We kind of operate as a bit of a bit of a duo in every aspect. Um, but yeah, so so I met Eden um, during our humanitarian development studies degree in our first year, um, and we quickly discovered that prior to that, we kind of lived like ten minutes up the road from each other for about ten years. So um, yeah, from from there, we just kind of got to know each other, and then realised we had a uh, similar interests as we kind of progressed through uni and wanting to. Um, a bit, bit idealistic, you know, wanting to save the world, wanting to fix the world, wanting to do as much good as we could. Um, and there's been many years of, of coffees and chats and mulling over what we can do and how we can find a way to do some good. Well, I think you just touched on there, boys, I guess, what makes you want to start a humanitarianism? So that, like, I didn't, I didn't even know that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a country kid, um, not much knowing of what's going on in the world, as I'm learning more through Eden. But you know, coming up through your studies, um, what made you destined to sort of follow that course? Yeah, so, um, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so in high school, I was kind of fascinated by the work of World Vision. So they did this 40-hour yep. famine thing. They had sponsored children. I was like, that's that's cool, you know, like that's a way that I can make an impact on other people's lives around the world, people, people in poverty, kind of learnt about that whole kind of nature of what life looks like for people um, around the world. Um, so I was fascinated by that. I went, okay, I, I want to make an impact. I want to change the world. I want to save people's lives. Like as much as a you know young high school kid can dream, that that was me. Um, and so then I kind of went on these service trips. Our school ran a couple over to Timor Leste. Yep. And so we spent a couple of weeks each time, um, kind of laying the foundations for a medical practice um, and building a particular. Uh, community member's house for them who had kind of been through strife and that's now looking back on that that's exactly what you'd consider volunteerism and is plagued by a whole bunch of issues and it's not very effective or helpful but for me as a young person I was like I'm, I'm doing something you know yeah. um, it's great it's great um, and so then I was like all right well I should go spend a whole year in Timor. I'll do a gap year after school. I'll spend a year just on a motorbike, just, you know, scoping it out, seeing how I can, you know, help, which is totally rogue when I look back on it. But I was like, yeah, it's a reasonable option. Um, so did you spend needed... the year over there? 
No, no. Uh, I was like, uh, mate, <laughs> motorbike, volunteering, that is as cool as you could possibly be. Yeah, I wish I was that cool for you, Jamie, but um, oh, no, I didn't do it. My parents were like, hey, what if you just went to uni? I was like, yeah. you know, I, I guess I, I maybe, yeah. So my, my then thought was, okay, I'll do my uni degree in humanitarian development studies, and that'll give me a broad overview of where I can go next to help out when I go back to Timor kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so Chris, how about you? How did you sort of get to be studying that? Yeah, so I'd say relatively similar. I always kind of, growing up, I was quite privileged, was able to like travel a fair bit with family. Um, and I guess kind of each time we do a trip like that, you know, you'd see all the big tourist sites and all the wham bam, but you'd also kind of, my parents were able to show me a little bit of like the other side of life that wasn't always as pretty when you'd go to different places around the world. And so they always kind of, I was lucky enough that they kind of ingrained this idea in me that like not everyone has it as good as you have, like, or you should always strive to kind of give something back where you can. And then so going through high school, like I had absolutely no idea aside from being like a pro soccer player or something like that, what I wanted to do. Quickly realised that wasn't going to happen. I was like, okay, time to start making some decisions here. Um, and then I kind of threw myself into this degree because I had a bit of combination of like learning about the industry of doing good and helping people and aid and development. And within that, there was also like a big placement in Nepal that kind of was probably the selling point for me. Um, so that was like an exchange as part of the degree. And so I just thought, you know, give it a go. You can always like change your mind six months down the track. But, you know, once I was in, I was absolutely hooked. Um, and I think the, the good thing from the degree was learning partly how cool the concept was of going and doing aid work. But also, I think Eden and I quickly realised that there are a lot of flaws in the system. Um, there are a lot of ways in which the system was broken, the system of aid and development. Um, and then so personally, it just kind of led to a bit of a transformation for me where it's just like, it's not a matter of just kind of like finding a job with one of these these great agencies. It's maybe I actually want to look at changing the system as a whole and maybe that can be the way that I do some good. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. just kind of led us on this journey a bit. So at the end of the day, sorry, yeah, the, the thing that I feel like I learned was that the industry doesn't need Chris and I, two white guys with a bunch of goodwill to go and, you know, over yeah. overseas. In fact, yeah. it'd be much better if, um, local people were the ones like responsible for running and, and doing the development programs and all of these things. So kind of, I learnt myself out of a job in, in some respects. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> pretty quickly. So, so the first coffee started, um, and you started talking about the way that you wanted to change systems, and, and we'll get into impacted soon. But you know, I guess talk me through those initial coffees um, and bouncing ideas off each other. Um, you know, you talk about people overseas needing to be the ones that make the change that are actually embedded in the local. How did you come to that realisation together, like bouncing those ideas off each other, I guess, studying together? I think we were, we really hit the jackpot with our degree because a lot of the lecturers and tutors were people that have spent years and years in the industry and some people that had kind of received aid themselves and really, or were locals in countries that had received aid and really knew the system well from various perspectives. Um, and they really drove home the idea for us, I feel, of help them help themselves. So essentially we realised if we have got something that we can offer, let's work ourselves out of a job. You know, let's go try and help this community so they can be self-sufficient and we can walk away. Um, and I feel like that's a perfect contrast to one of the big issues in the system where it's just kind of perpetual 
um, where maybe a big organisation might park themselves in an area or community and they kind of work to keep themselves there because that's how, as a charity, they stay existing. Um, so that's kind of something that really, like, woke us up, I guess, and um, led us to this path of looking at actual impact instead of just kind of being there and looking like we're doing something to do something and leave, really. Yeah, well, I had, that, I had the email from Eden, and, and there's a really good statement. It was the charity sector is broken. I think you're sort of touching on this at the moment. So, Eden, do you want to explain a little bit more of that statement? You know, the incentive side of things, you know, you've written are all wrong. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, essentially, our kind of thesis is charities um, are incentivized to appeal to donor interests rather than beneficiary outcomes. So the kind of the whole system set up on getting grants, getting donations from um, people with money, people with power who aren't necessarily experiencing the things themselves. And that just means that, um, yeah, charities are always incentivized to paint a pretty picture of what they're doing or to do the activities that align to the donor interests rather than the actual needs of the community members that they're trying to serve. Um, so that creates a lot of tension within charities which is a bad thing, uh, but also just worse outcomes for the individuals at the end of the day. And there's this kind of third added thing of um, from the donor perspective, you don't know whether the charity that you are giving to is very helpful or not because they're all just painting a pretty picture of what they do. So kind of like if you were to go around and look up some big charity name websites, you're typically going to see like three different kind of images. Like one is like, we build wells. Um, two is like, here's a smiling child. And three, here's like a quote from some community member who said that we did a good job. And that doesn't really tell you anything about, you know, how effective the charity is. Um, so they all just tend to look the same. And, and that's kind of where we have begun to think about and over our coffees and things <laughs> decided that perhaps impacted was a good idea. Yeah, uh, Chris, do you uh, want to extend on? Yeah, sorry, Chris, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, I mean, like, I think you really captured what was like the driving factor behind us kind of pursuing what we are. But one of the other things I think was just like, it, it was a tricky encounter trying to realise that the age sector and development sector could be improved because I feel like there's been a long-standing kind of mindset globally that like you know they're still doing something and something is better than nothing so you know who are we to kind of criticize these organizations that are doing a great job helping communities in need um but then and you know maybe you could talk about improving that kind of stuff for the corporate world for businesses and things like that but um i think aid and charities and nfps they've kind of established themselves as an institution um and once you're at that level work needs to be done to make it better. If it's going to be long-standing, it can be improved. And just because an organisation is there doesn't mean they're necessarily making an impact. Um, in many cases, they could be doing more harm than good. Um, and that's yeah. where we felt like a bit of an obligation to start pressing for deeper questions. Um, might be things like, were the beneficiaries involved? Did they have a say in the decision-making? Um, you know, were cultural practices taken into consideration, were they respected, all sorts of different things like that. Um, and that's where we started realizing there's many different layers to actually uncover how good aid is and by extension figure out how it can be improved for even better impact. Yeah, before before we jump into impact, um, 
I think another really good point um, Eden made and something that I've picked up, I guess, from my learnings over the past five months as well is around this part of reporting and reporting the impact um, that these charities make. Now, that's a discussion um, I know with <clears throat> one of the charity partners, Tony does a lot of work with, uh, they were talking around the donations and all the good that they've done. And look, I, I do really believe one of these charity partners unbelievable what they do but uh, we're talking around educational grants and we're talking about putting people through studies um, and I know that discussion happened is like okay what impact has these grants made to these people's lives you know have they got themselves further educated are they doing work in the community you know how do we know what this money has actually gone to now that's a really hard problem to solve um, I, I, you know that's why I've got you two geniuses on here today because that from my end you know how do you even start with that yeah, I think that's the core problem, Jamie. We're kind of like charities kind of end up stopping the impact reporting at all of the inputs that they did. So we did yep. X, we did Y, we raised Z amount of money. Um, rather than kind of going to the next question of like, okay, so we built X number of wells. What did those wells, how did they change people's lives for what money? Kind of, I wonder if we could begin to standardise something to be able to compare um charities and so that's kind of yeah the problem that we're, we're trying to wrestle through yeah well let's start on impact then so you've had a few coffees i'm sure you've moved to the pub now and you've had a beer um, <laughs> and bang the ideas come uh, let's give us a broad overview of what impact it is um i guess you know what is it and let's start moving through that yeah, uh, in summary, we're going to be Google reviews for charity. And when I say Google reviews, I mean like a totally open public platform, a website where anyone can go on who's been a beneficiary, has received support from a charity. They can go on and review, give feedback on the support that they've received. And so our kind of core thesis is we're going to ask um, a few main questions, which are standard across all programs. So yeah. like how much did this change your life? like to really try and get to the bottom of that question um, rather than, you know, how much price did you receive or, or whatever the individual thing is so that we have some kind of standard across all of it. Yeah, Chris, did you want to keep going? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll just kind of just touch on that. Essentially, um, it's, it's sort of a three-pronged solution, I suppose. So essentially wanna, we want to make sure that obviously beneficiaries have a much greater input in aid programs and development programs that are supposed to be designed for their benefit to improve their lives. Um, so we want them to have a much bigger say in the decision-making progress. And by giving them a platform to speak up, they're going to be able to do that. They're going to be able to say what works and what doesn't from, from their experience. Um, for charities and NFPs and organisations, um, essentially it's going to show them as well what people like, what people don't, what works, what doesn't. And they're going to be able to improve their practice based on the feedback and the analysis that we can then turn around and offer them. Um, and, you know, especially in a, like, I feel like the industry, there's a big growing demand in quality monitoring and evaluation, as well as measuring social impact. I think they're things that the world is really valuing now, and that's going to reflect across the industry. Um, and lastly, just for donors, you know, your average Joe or big philanthropist, they're going to be able to make better informed decisions about where they're putting their money and whether that's actually going to lead to a program that's really doing some good or if it's just kind of there. Um, so that's kind of the big premise behind what we're pushing. 
I think the great thing you talked about as well is asking multiple questions to provide that review because we all know, I guess, I use Google Maps pretty much as my main source to look anything up now because I know I can find that business, look at the reviews, look at some photos um, and jump into the menu before deciding what I want to eat. But, you know, you can always get that one disgruntled person that can really hurt reviews, but, you know, it's just a throwaway where I think what you've decided to do is actually multiple questions asking them. It's actually going to deep like dive into the real problem and what they're facing so if it's just someone who's you know got upset about something and it's going to hurt that brand um it's quicker to do from a google review because it's a couple of lines or you can just get a star review and it's done but you know i think it's important that you're breaking that down yeah yeah exactly and i think like that's one of the other key things for us is to make sure that the feedback is as you say like constructive right because yeah we don't want to set this thing up just for charities to get completely bashed online um, and tarnish. We want it to be constructive feedback for them to reflect on and say, okay, this clearly didn't work out for this this person. How can we kind of, you know, approach this a bit differently to, to do it a bit better instead of just, you know, a public flaming or shaming, you know? <laughs> yeah. But your good, your good charities and good businesses will reflect on negative comments um, and make adjustments. So, you know, uh, these people are, are working in a I guess, an area that would be so hard and there's so many different elements to it. And, you know, they, they are not always going to get it right. So, you know, actually getting feedback from, you know, the end consumer, I guess, uh, not so consumers, but that beneficiary um, and putting that back, back up the chain is quite important. Yeah, yeah. We've actually kind of begun to ask some feedback kind of on the idea and the process from some different NGOs. And some have come back and said, oh, that sounds really dangerous having a public platform you can review us through. And others have said, yeah, bring it on. Like, yeah. our beneficiaries love us. Um, and so I feel like it's quite telling um, kind of some organisations really for it. And perhaps they're ones that are less effective and, and the really effective ones are cheering it. So um, yeah, I guess we're hoping to tap into some of those effective charities to perhaps be our pilot program to lead the charge forward um, to kind of muster the swell, the groundswell kind of in the rest of the uh, not-for-profit space that everyone would want to be on the platform. Yeah, well. and that leads to a question I was going to ask. So is it someone comes on to review is does the charity need to be set up or is that first person providing a review going to be the one that you know i guess creates the account for the non-for-profit because that's you know you're talking a huge sector guys yeah well i, I suppose that's uh and then you can jump on as well but that, that's one of the things that obviously we'll just kind of fine tune as we go um because obviously yeah. you've got so many charities out there and there's so many different areas you know like we're both from the currently in the Parramatta region, and even there, there's a lot of different NGOs. Um, and so, you know, once you expand, it just keeps going. So, I think from where we're at in early days to kind of have a page set up for every single charity is probably not quite feasible. But, and that's where, you know, we can look into offering um, charities the opportunity to kind of subscribe to be able to manage their own page. Um, yeah. And that might be then they might be able to reply publicly to different reviews and things like that as well so you know that'll be some of the fine tuning as we go it depends kind of who engages with us um but yeah i think the the main thing for us is just getting quality feedback in that we can work with um so all the, the beautiful, while while we work the beautiful on this, part of it sorry sorry go ahead sorry yeah, i was just breaking i was going to say the beautiful part about starting like that is 
the reviews that you'll start with are going to be the good reviews or the bad reviews and it's actually going to be quite honest because they're, they're needing to start aren't they if you just sort of spread out and it sort of starts as i see you get those sort of non-genuine ones but you guys are going to hit the ground running with some real really good genuine feedback yeah we're sure hoping so <laughs> absolutely jamie yeah so what's some what's some of the main hurdles that you guys are going to face and and charities are going to face when it comes to this um, I think the oh, first one, <laughs> where you're pointing to each other like, you go, no, you go. Um, I think the main thing is kind of, yeah, that first few to get enough in a particular region to begin to have a movement towards something yeah. bigger. Um, obviously, it's just kind of we're a small team right now. It's Chris and I, um, a guy named Kevin and my wife, Beck, who are just kind of putting in a few hours here and there. So we've got a website with a Google form where you submit, you know, your feedback. It will manually take that and then re-upload it to the website. So that's our current system. It's super basic. This, this kind of idea of a, what's the minimum viable product that we can launch with um, yeah. before we kind of iterate and go down a path um that's going to be really effective for people um Nothing. so i guess from that though like finding those ones what sort of some areas that you would like to target have you had a thought about you know the hurdles that you would love to you know beating that what's the segment that you think is a really good start i think the most kind of powerful segment that it'd be for would be a small charity that has no time to do impact reporting no budget for that um that would let us come along and uh, have a chat to a few of their beneficiaries, put together an impact report um, and some kind of materials that might go along with that, like social media tiles and things, something that um, they'd love to give that feedback on to their donors and their supporters. Um, so I think we're, we're looking for some small charities who are perhaps donor reliant, who would love their story to be told and their beneficiaries um, who cheer them on their story to be told as well. Yeah, I suppose that's the um, that's the big one, right? Like, obviously, one of the key issues for the industry as a whole is funding and being strapped for funding and trying to like maximise your operations um, with the money that you've got. And so sometimes that can mean that things like impact measurement and monitoring evaluation might fall to the back burner if you've only got so much that you can work with. So I suppose if we can offer that with the software that we're building, um, and if we can kind of create somewhat of a movement for just best practice between ourselves, beneficiaries and other organisations that want to improve the quality of their work. Um, you know, we can kind of make this win-win for, for everyone to just like grow this entire industry together. Um, and so that's kind of where our coffees and beers kind of get quite well, idealistic, but that's also... Yeah. I think you're on the... I think you're on the right track when you even think it from a business point of view you know if i if you keep going back to the same person going hey just give us money just give us money just give us money there's going to be a point where they, i need to stop or that money runs out but if you can keep showing the impact that you're doing that conversation it's like i guess selling advertising space well it's like i know it's completely different but if you're selling advertising space going look you're actually reaching all these listeners um you know this is who you're actually reaching out to and it keeps expanding from there probably going to get that business on to pay for that advertising but if you just go hey mate it's going to cost you 20 grand to run this ad you know how's the ad going to go it's going to be good trust me you know um, it's really good ad okay <laughs> um so i think you're completely right you know if you can show these 
impacts that they're actually making, they're going to be able to get more donor support. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think, you know, a similar example can be seen if you look at like Times Higher Education, right? They've got this ranking system for universities. And it's, you know, you can look at the rankings for a whole bunch of different categories, right? So what that's doing is that's showcasing good universities because then they can use that for their own advertising, right? Oxford University could say, look at us, we're number one in, I don't know, employment, employability for our students or something like that. But what that's doing yeah. is that's creating healthy competition for all the universities to be the best they can be so that they can rank really well and get good reviews to in turn advertise their, their good universities and what they offer. Um, and that's just kind of, yeah, that improves the, the whole system. So if we can do a similar thing with, with charities, we're going to ideally create this environment where everyone's working to be the best they can be, and, you know, using us and beneficiaries in the process. I completely agree with that statement. And I actually remember my, I went to RMIT University here in March. Um, and I remember coming through regularly in my second or third year and, and they started using that advertising. You know, they ranked eighth worldwide about their students getting employed afterwards because they ran a program where you sort of did that gap year where you actually ended up going into employment. But you're right, that, that provided them with marketing material that they didn't need to go do. They did it well, got the numbers and figures, and then they pumped it out to everybody. So I, I reckon you're completely on the right track. Yeah, precisely. And so, I mean, um, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll let you, I could go on about this. Topic. No, no, that, 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 yeah. No, I was going to say, Eden, I guess from your your view, um, what's next for Impacted? You know, what are the next stages that you need? To, I, know, I know you just sort of said the website's up and going, we're sort of finding these charitable partners, but, you know, what's your vision over the next sort of six to 12 months for Impacted? Yeah, we'd love to have a few pilot programs up and running. And the kind of the structure of that would, We've, we're trying to launch a three-sided marketplace, essentially, yeah. which is incredibly difficult in terms of all startup things. They say you probably avoid that. So kind of where we're thinking is we'll just start with one side, and that would be um, the not-for-profits. So if we could run a few pilot programs that would look like um, we provide some survey tools that a not-for-profit could hand out to their beneficiaries, um, it automatically kind of collects all that data um, and with one click you can generate social media tiles, impact reports, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of from the basic Google form that we have now over the next kind of six to 12 months, that's what we kind of want to have up and running is kind of one click impact reporting for not-for-profits um, and if they'll let us to be able to display that on a public platform and that public platform we hope then will grow naturally um, as people begin to find it um, and hopefully some other reviews will start popping up for new charities and things that will inspire them to get on board and start um, doing their own monitoring and evaluation using our survey tools. Essentially what we're looking for right now is friends. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you've got one here, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm on board because, uh, you know, the biggest thing for me is, yeah, as I said, that's I'm all with you on that impact reporting, finding where that dollar's going. You know, imagine knowing that your $1 is doing this much good in the community. Um, mm. And I think that in itself, that one statement it will inspire people to actually donate more. Mm. That's a secret ambition of mine um, to kind of, support the process of giving a little bit more i feel like in australia we've kind of steered away from charity and giving 
Um, yeah. Although there are tons of charities who have kind of become really hesitant um, to give because what if the charity is bad? Um, I want to kind yeah. of eliminate that. Just have it totally. If you if you're able to trust a charity because it's really transparent and that inspires you to give, that's what we're all for. So we'd love to bring that kind of trust and transparency back to the sector so that people get on board with it again. I, I think that's spot on. The one that, the, you know, the biggest charitable partner I always give to is the guy, so they do it so well in Melbourne now. Um, you know how they used to sort of roll around with the tins? Um, yeah. They, they still do that, but they always get me at the pub and, you know, do you have coins on you? No, I don't have any coins in me. And they're so quick now at actually pulling out the card machine. Yeah. And you just like, <laughs> wow, you know, I was like, you know what? You've done so well. I'm gonna have to. I'm definitely donating to you. So I, maybe I'd like to give a little bit more thought of where my dollar would actually go. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of one of the big goals, right, for for donors as well. You know, so we're quite open-minded with kind of what constitutes best practice. That's all we really advocate for. That might come in many different forms, but we want the ideally the evidence to speak for itself. And you know, whether that says maybe social enterprises um, have a you know, greater level of impact or anything like that. Um, you know, instead of us kind of dictating what it's going to be, we're just going to kind of put it out there because the beneficiary is going to have a great say in, in what it is. Um, and I guess that's one of the exciting things about about this concept. Love it. Gents, I love your passion. Um, I love the work that you're doing. I can't wait to get this out and, and get it supported. And I know, you know, even just chatting before, um, I definitely know that we have partners, I think, that will jump on board this. So, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day, Eden. I know this is your nighttime job and you're, you're rolling around doing the other things. It's the same as you, Chris. I know you've been managed to duck into a room quickly to do this. So, just taking that little bit of time out for me is very much appreciated. Oh, we appreciate you, Jamie. Thanks yeah, so much. Make, make time for things that are important. So, yeah, thanks for, for giving us this opportunity as well. Really, really appreciate that. Awesome. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. Cheers. The Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond & Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.